Thanks for listening to another life-transforming message from the team here at C3 Southwest Washington. To find out more about our church, visit c3swwa.com. How many of you appreciate Kerry and his family? It's miraculous stuff that's happened. If you haven't followed that along, last year or over a year ago, we made the commitment to helping them move from Australia to plant a church. Had no idea COVID was on its way, and yet through that entire process, to be able to get them over here, to get their boots on the ground, they started leading the church a couple weeks ago. Our church has played such a key role in that process, and so much of what he's talking about, he's received through us, and that just, you know, God's economy is pretty amazing. So thank you for your generosity and giving. We're going to jump right into a brand new series entitled Imperfect Christmas. And I know nobody wants an imperfect Christmas. You want a perfect Christmas. You are idealistic. You fight to make sure everything is in its place. Like at my house, Rowena has all the direction, uh, all the decorations just so. It is miraculous. She is decorating hallways that we don't even go into. But in the event that we would go into that hallway... It's going to be amazing. Just the other day, I received from uh, my son and daughter-in-law this great picture of our grandchildren that is also perfect. And in the process of looking at this picture in every way, I mean, you know, there's the perfect setting, there's the perfect outfit, there's the perfect posture towards one another. They're both smiling. No one has uh, uh, anything smeared on their face. And when I see this picture, I think, oh, that's amazing. That's beautiful. It's perfect. And I also know that's not reality. And I think to myself, how many photographs did the photographer have to take? Jennifer Davenport, um, how many did she have to take and how much editing did she have to do to capture that moment? Because that picture, as beautiful as it is, is not reality. I want to challenge you with that idea, with that thought. As we look at the holiday season, as we look at the holiday narrative, that you and I make sure that we see the real picture of what really exists. Because there's a risk as we look at perfected versions of the imperfect to miss the value, to actually uh, put the gospel over in an area that's no longer valuable to us. I want to read to you this great scripture that's probably on the front of one of your Christmas cards, you know, where there's a manger scene, the lights are just right, angels gently hovering in the sky, calm cows kneeling down next to a manger that looks like it was ordered from Ikea, right? So I want to read that to you. Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, and while they were there, the time came for her to be, her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Well, we have an over, overly, uh, what I call, Instagram version of this story. And I want to talk to you today about this title, The Problem with Sanitizing Everything, our lives, the gospel, and so many other things. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your people. We bless them. Allow your word to find its spot in their life as you intend. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So when we look at this portion of scripture, we do have typically a sanitized version of what we're looking at. You know, we read those words, wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. And it's beautiful. And there's music in the background, and we feel warm and fuzzy as we should at Christmas. But let me jog you through a, th a few details that are actually going on that are incredibly valid. We have an extremely pregnant woman traveling for days by means of a donkey exposed to the elements of the weather. We have them doing this 
in, an, in a political environment where the Romans have occupied their nation and taken away almost everything. They've confiscated property. They demand and legally can take sexual favors. They can kill without absolutely any punishment as Roman citizens. Execution is so common within the confines of Rome that it was actually part of their sporting events. Sunday afternoon football would include executing a few people. And the way the Romans did it, they'd take a living person, sew them in the skin of a dead animal, throw a few snakes in there, and then feed it to the dogs. I'm not exaggerating. Study your history. They were incredible about the ways they would go about um, torturing people, and, and it was part of everyday culture. This is where Jesus was born. Can I just say this for a moment? Uh, the scripture teaches us that at just the right time, God sent his son. Some of us have in our mindset that God needs a spiritual conservative, and as much as I love it, a constitutional republic with a godly president in charge and all of the people in play all love Jesus and amazing, but God sent his son at the perfect time in the perfect environment for the gospel to work. Let me emphasize, God is not limited by our political structure. I got two amens on that. You need to hear that. Some people in this season have lost their minds and think the world has hit an all-time low and that things are spinning out of control. And if God doesn't return in five minutes, what will happen? This world is not getting worse. Actually, what you've experienced is nowhere near the norm in the world or in history. We, we have what we call uh, American privilege. We think we're the only planet on earth and everybody else is experiencing what we experience. Nothing could be farther from the truth. I'm just telling you, I've been around the world, some of you have as well, and what we're experiencing is nothing. We've had 1.5 million people die of a virus and that's incredibly serious. In the mid-1300s, 200 million people died. 200 million. I've heard somebody, uh, I, I don't wanna be sarcastic, I, there's a temptation for me to push that way. But I'm telling you, the, this world is crazy. It's got some crazy things going on. C.S. Lewis wrote an article talking about the atomic age because in 1945, when we dropped the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, people were freaking out. How will we as a people survive? How will we make it through this incredibly atomic age? And C.S. Lewis said, relax, you guys. Don't overinflate what you are experiencing because people have been facing these types of issues for every generation, okay? You, we, are not, we are special in the eyes of God, but we are not special because of what we're experiencing. In fact, we're very, very, very protected in this season compared to what other people have experienced. I'll keep moving on. Uh, this, this imperfect Christmas that Jesus was born into you got to remember that Mary is traveling with her fiancé who had just recently broke off the engagement because he found out the baby was not, well, he knew the baby was not his. <laughs> he just find it out. He knew it was not his. Uh, there was no, no paternity test to take. He had not been involved with her. He's traveling to his family's region, and her pregnancy is scandalous. Scandalous. When you go on, when he arrives into his town, there's not only no room in the inn, but in their very, very embracing Cult, the culture where they would not allow a stranger to sleep out in the market square, his family has no room in their house for this girl who is about to give birth. 
There is scandal going on in Mary's world. This is the world that Jesus was born into. Medicine of that, that season was incredibly poor. Disease was rampant, and life expectancy in the world that Jesus was born into was 40 years of age. Most people died in childbirth or as infants. And Jesus is born in the pristine, I can assure you, the most amazing clean barn ever known to man, filled with animal fecal and disease. We see this fancy barn. This is where animals sleep, eat. You track it with where I'm going. And they place him in a manger. Do you understand that's where the slop goes, the pigs eat, the cows eat? It is disgusting. I don't care what your child's car seat looks like with three-month-old Cheerios. This is way beyond that. And this child is placed into that environment. That doesn't show up on your Christmas card, does it? There's a host of angels that show up, and I know that seems really pretty on the cards, but it terrorizes the family in the middle of the night. The Bible says that they are so fearful, the angels have to spend time to let them know who they actually are. If you've ever been startled in the middle of the night with the lights going on outside, like somebody's breaking in your house, we're talking about like nuclear lights coming from heaven to expose the glory of God on this small child. Talk about having flashbacks and tremors and trauma. Massive groups of shepherds start showing up wanting to see some baby that's not theirs, that they're not related to. Have you ever been in the hospital and have people show up to comfort you? And you don't need comfort, you need sleep. Anybody. I got knee surgery one time, and a couple kids, when I was a youth pastor, decided to show up and to bring me comfort while I was sleeping, uh, recovering. And I'm telling you what, they were driving me crazy. I didn't have the heart to say, get out of here. So I pretended to fall asleep. And... Uh... <laughs> Anyways, I was kind of lying. So that really fits into my next point as I get there. Um, so what we've done is we've sanitized this version of Scripture. But it's so important for you not to sanitize Scripture. Not to sanitize yourself. Not to sanitize circumstances. Not to sanitize God and not to sanitize the word of God. Now, when we talk about sanitizing, it's that process of enhancing the perception of a thing in order to make it more appealing or more valuable. It is you taking 10 selfies and posting the one where you're not slouching, where your belly's not sticking out, where your bald spot doesn't show. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the inaccurate version of you, but that you really want other people to see. And we have a tendency to do that with ourselves, but we also have a tendency to read scripture that way, to share it with others about God. And we actually clean God up. We clean scripture up, but there are some serious problems with being able to do that, okay? Um, we turn our world into an Instagram story that becomes irrelevant for those who are listening and irrelevant for even us, because guess what? We don't live Instagram lives. We're not Instagram people. We don't have Instagram problems and Instagram solutions will not work in the life that you live, right? You need real solutions for real problems. So let me give you a couple points, and hopefully I'll preach faster than the last service because I went so long. I think I'm still preaching in the first service. Okay, point number one. Um, sanitizing is not the language of the kingdom. Truth is. The truth of who God really is, the truth of what God really says, the truth of who you really are, right here and now, 
imperfect warts and all. The truth about what you're really doing, what's right and what's wrong, the truth about what's going on with others. Sanitizing is not a language that God uses. He uses the language of truth, and we'll get to the reason why in just a moment. But if you think about this, the Bible is most likely, in my opinion, the worst promotional book ever written from the perspective of if the Bible is advertising a cruise, I'm very concerned that God is using some of these pictures to get you to get on his boats. See where I'm going with this? When we look at the Bible, if God is trying to convince people to join his thing, he needs to clean up his story, to sanitize it a little bit. Because if this was a cruise line, and we're inviting you to come and buy, come on board, the love boat. Okay, so some of you are like, what is love boat? Listen, Sunday nights when I was a kid, there was Fantasy Island and love boat. Look it up. You want to be an American? You need to know about Love Boat. <laughs> I, I, I apologize for even that reference, okay? See, if God owned a cruise line and he was inviting you through the Bible to come onto this cruise, you would discover by looking at the pictures very quickly that most of the captains are unqualified to even navigate their boat. Most boats have significant health outbreaks. There are instances of the staff mistreating passengers. Ships regularly are under attack by pirates. Storms are frequent. Some ships never make it to their destinations, as you read the scripture. And God is not afraid for you to see the truth. You know why? The truth will set you free. Sanitized truth does nothing. You know, let me point out a, a crazy scripture, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. This is one of God's invitations to come on this cruise. God's doing amazing things throughout Acts chapter 2, 3, 4. The church has started. Great things are happening. People are so excited about God. You know, you know that God is doing great things when money is no longer an idol. It's just the reality, okay? And so people have enough money where they're selling properties and giving the entire portion. This might be the will of God for some of you just listening. No, I'm kidding. They're selling properties and giving all the money to the church to meet the need of people in the church and the ministry of the church. That's, that's scalable to our economy. That's a lot of money. And the beautiful thing is there's a movement to do that, and we pick it up in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and we discover a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. And they get this idea, we're going to sell a property, but let's not give the entire amount to the church. Now, that's completely their prerogative. What you give is up to you. But they make the decision to make it look like they sold the property for, say, $100,000, and they're going to keep a portion back, maybe $30,000, but they're still going to give $70,000. But they pretend like they are giving the entire amount to the church. It's not a huge, crazy adjustment, but listen to how God shares this cruise with us. So they, uh, he goes in, he lays the proceeds right down at the feet of the apostles and Peter. I mean, this this is a weird pastoral moment where you're dealing with someone in your congregation. Peter says to him, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Why is it that you have contrived, this is key, why have you contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to, to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. That is a crazy story. It's like you dropping your, your tithe into the offering 
And because it's not really 10%, but you wrote the number down on the tithe, you know, you know what I'm talking about? It's not really tithe, but you put it there. Well, they may, you know, I, I tithe. And boom, what if that starts happening tomorrow in church? Next week, that's crazy stuff. But that's what happened in the church. That's what took place in this moment. There's an incredible question that you can see here in Scripture, and this is so valuable. He says to Ananias, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? In other words, why are you presenting a version of you that is inaccurate? Why are you pretending to be something you're not? Why are you pretending to do something you're not? What is the reason? Now, there, I think there will be a lot of reasons. They're wanting to sanitize their life. They're wanting to appear more valuable than it is, to be more attractive. They're wanting to impress more people. If they think I gave more, they'll think more of me. They're wanting their giving to look bigger than it was. They wanted to be connected to the elite group of givers, but on, at the end of the day, they were not being true to who they are. I, and I will say this without question, when you walk into this room, when you walk into our church, we are not interested in the sanitized version of you. The real version of you is welcome here. Look at the person next to you and say, that's, that's good, especially in your case. <laughs> you know what I mean? In fact, I'd say this, will you please leave the sanitized version of you someplace else? Because the truth is the sanitized version that you would portray of yourself is not going to get out of our gatherings what is so valuable to your life. And in fact, you will hinder God from doing in your life what he wants to do. And you will hinder your leaders from actually being effective at being able to help you to be able to move forward. You know, the Ananias and Sapphira were some of the first New Testament virtue signalers. You know what I mean by that? It's when you post stuff online to show that you care, that you're loving, that you're culturally relevant and doing the right thing, but it would be the virtue signal that you actually don't practice in real life, don't actually believe, and don't actually live out at home. Not that you've ever done this, but it would be there's a fire in a different state, and you say, pray for the forest fire down in that state, and you don't actually even pray. Why would you ever post that? Well, it's, yeah, the reason why you would do that is because you want people to think that you care and that you're loving. Not you. I'm talking about the other people who do this, right? <laughs> they post these pictures because deep down in, they want to appear better than they actually are. And I want to tell you, you do not need to do that. And actually, by doing that, it introduces a blockage in relationships and in our experience with God. Ananias and Sapphira were uh, virtue signaling things that they wouldn't otherwise have done and things that they actually didn't do in private. Can I, can I get a little political here just for a second? Uh, this type of behavior is very common in politics today. We have a number, it's, uh, I guess it's okay for me to be political. I mean, it's not a democracy. Not right now, it's not. Um, we, have, uh, we have some serious issues going on health-wise and politically and all sorts of different things. Um, I am amazed at uh, some of the actions of it, several of our governors who have gotten together with health officials in their state and really locked down and created rules for moving forward that are, are significant. 
I mean, when you are to cancel your Thanksgiving, you can limit only certain people in your house, that if you have a meal, it can only be for two hours. During the meal, you should eat out in the backyard. You should have your mask on and lift your mask as you take bites. When I look at that, if that is required, what becomes a very strange moment is when those same governors and the medical professionals who have come up with that plan of action then are caught dining in town, participating in none of the very things that they have suggested. The reason why that is problematic is because their private life and their public life are contradictory. That is always going to be a problem. Uh, going a little farther, that leader would be simply virtue signaling. Because the truth is, what we do in private when nobody is looking is actually who we are. It's actually what we believe. And I'm not a real big conspiracy theory guy, but when I see key governmental leaders and I see key medical professionals functioning in private in a way that's contrary to the way that they're describing publicly, it makes me just automatically think they don't believe what they're telling the public. It's not a conspiracy. I'm just listening to what you're saying. Anybody follow me with that? Okay. So I would also say, say that uh, a person like that, a leader like that, has sanitized his per public persona because his private one would not be accepted. And furthermore, he is also, as terrible as all this is, a individual who is somewhere is in the process of God. And we believe for God's best for his future as God visits him. You're going to see people who are going to blow it in politics, in religion during this season, and don't turn them into the Antichrist. Okay? You know that every person that is horrifically evil also is the son or daughter of someone else that God is actively working in and has sent his son to reach. Be careful about overstretching. Call what somebody does is wrong, but pray for the best and speak for the best for their future, okay? That's just a practice we're going to have. When your kid poops his pants and misbehaves and has a meltdown, we're not going to be like, evil! <laughs> we're going to love your child on his worst day. We're going to love you on his worst day. And we can actually love some of our politicians who are having their worst decade. Okay, so moving a little further. <laughs> All right, so can I also be a little bit more political or let me be a little bit uh, health conscious. I, I wanna honor you who are here in the room and I wanna honor you who are at home, but I wanna make a couple statements as this topic applies to our course of action moving forward. There are some people uh, who have good reason to distance and not be in church, believers I'm talking about. They have good reason to distance and not be here as we gather. They have underlying health issues, they're around people with underlying health issues. They're around the infected, and they want to protect the people in the future that they are going to be gathering with. They've decided, they've considered, they've prayed, they've waited all out, and they've decided that the risk to come into this room is too high. I would say to them, we love you, we support you, we'll continue live streaming. Amen? Yes. Okay. I was talking with somebody in the medical profession. It's a great friend through the years, a key leader in the church, hasn't been in church since the end of March. And in our dialogue, I was trying to invite her and her husband to come to my house. But I also knew that I haven't seen them here, and I also know that they're practicing safety because of her background. And I, so I asked a question, and she said, Steve, listen, I do a certain thing at work, and I do the same things at home. 
I don't want to be hypocritical about it. I'm going to be consistent in my lifestyle. And so we'll look forward to coming. They live a house away from me. It's like my next door neighbors practically. And she's saying that we'll wait till this thing is done because of my convictions. She said, now, how do you feel about that? Because sometimes you can, shocking to me to find out that I can be sarcastic at times. She said, I almost felt like maybe you're taking pot shots at people who are at home. I'm not. (laughs) Uh, I'm taking pot shots at you in the room. So at home, you're going to get some pot shots. But I let her know, no, in fact, the opposite is true. I've actually used you personally as an example of somebody I respect consistency. Now, let me say this a little farther. Some have the tremendous conviction not to distance and to be in church in person. And I support you a thousand percent as well. Get a great spot to get an amen. That is you in the room. I don't like that. I'm out of here. Okay. Um, you're, You're gathering because your conviction is to gather. Gathering is a command of God, not only a command of God, but it's a command for purpose. It brings benefits. There are things that are experienced as we gather that cannot be experienced by watching live stream. I remember the moment watching live stream while we did that for the first six weeks. The first time I walked into a small group watching the live stream is weird. I was up on the screen on their TV in their house, but hearing their voices sing, I began to weep and to shake because I was starving. There's something powerful that happens when I look into your eyes and you look into mine. You know, there's something powerful. The Bible says, lay your hands on the sick and they'll recover. I do believe we can pray through the screen, but I'm going to tell you what, if I'm sick, I'm coming. Let the leaders lay their hands on me. We believe in those principles. Those of you have that also have that conviction that gathering allows me to serve the well-being of others. See, it's not here. You're not coming to Steve Parish, Rowena Parish, the dispensary of all things spiritual and like good customers then go out taking your bag of groceries home. When you come into the house of God, and I come into the house of God, we create the atmosphere of God's presence. And in the atmosphere of God's presence together, not only do we ingest all of the good things that are brought into play because we're gathering, but they fill us up and allow us then to push them into the people in the room who are not doing well. Praying for the person who's struggling, the person who walks in who's discouraged. Uh, my pastor down in San Diego, his, his church has been open, and he recently had an altar call for people who are on the verge of committing suicide. 24 people in that room raised their hands and came up to the altar. Don't tell me church is not essential. I know the church is not a building, but either is a hospital. A hospital is a place where a bunch of doctors gather where sick people know that they can come and get the help that they need. And when the hospitals, maybe uh, somebody gets hurt otherwise, people do leave the hospital and go and get that person, but where do they bring them? Back to the hospital, not because of the building, but because of the epicenter of being able to meet the need. I can't tell you how many times I've been in the house of God, discouraged, struggling, needing healing in my body, and God has shown up so many times. I've watched them touch people, touch my children. And, and, and while I do value live streaming, for those of you who can't be here, we want to provide that for you. If I could be here, I would never settle for a live stream. I couldn't, I, I personally, I couldn't do it. And so let me say this, that I met a couple who were in their 80s um, down in Frisco, Texas. Their family didn't want them to be in church. Cutest old couple. I mean, mid-80s. Cutest old couple hugging people at the front door. They had their masks on. They were trying to be safe. Their family was angry that they were going to church. Their family wasn't believers. 
But they said, we're so excited about being in the house of God to be able to experience God's presence. And we want to be here to help other people experience the same thing. Mm. Let me say this. You get to choose your course in all of this. And it's important that you do. But I would challenge you, no matter where you and your family fall on this, that you don't turn into one of our governors. Because in so doing, if you choose this course where you're not doing something publicly because of the optics, you're sanitizing your life, you're going to find a couple things that are going to happen. You're going to be functioning as a person who is double-minded and hypocritical, number one. Number two, it's going to diminish your leadership influence in the lives of people you have so worked so hard to establish. It'll pull it down. And the third thing is it will infect the people who still follow you with your brand of duality. You know, we don't teach our children by what we say. We really do teach them by what we do. You will find that in dealing with me, with Rowena, this is who we are in this room. This is who we are in our lives. Not because we're trying to impress you. For me, I do care what you think about me, but who I really care about what, who thinks about me is my wife and my three kids, my daughter-in-law, and my grandchildren. Now, I'm not saying that I lay around the house with you know, my flannel shirt ironed, which I did this morning. It's proper to you know, get dressed and make yourself presentable. But the same person that stands here stands there. And what's more important than the person who stands here is absolutely the person that stands there. You know why? Because if I lose my influence in their lives because I live a dualistic life. You know what? Here's a, here's a, here's a crazy thing. Mom, dad, listen to me. You having open discussions in front of your children in the car about your boss, about a neighbor, about a church experience, that is unfiltered, and that child watches you talk in derogatory terms towards another family member, a friend, a spiritual leader, unsanitized, and then you walk into church, oh, God bless you, brother. Oh, it's so good to see you. When I was just telling my wife how I hate your guts, and my kids were listening. Now listen, I'm talking real stuff. That was a great hug, by the way. We, we, it's only awkward if you make it, right? You, we, 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 we'll, we'll practice later, okay? Do you, do you understand, like, how important what I'm saying to you right now is? Moms and dads, this is so important. It is so important. You get to choose whether you're going to shelter and stay away from the house of God, or you get to choose whether you're going to walk into this room. But I would challenge everyone, make sure you're not functioning like one of these uh, political leaders who need some help. Let me move forward. Uh, number, <laughs> number two, you know that sanitizing actually repels the supernatural work of God, but truth re attracts the supernatural work of God. You know, when we function in deception, what we're actually doing is we're trying to hide the fact that we have something imperfect or we don't want to talk about how it's imperfect because, you know, if you tell the truth, it's offensive. Like, I don't want to discipline my 17-year-old child who still lives in my home, who doesn't have a fully, uh, fully formed brain. I don't want to. I want them to like me. 
right? So I don't want to tell them don't do that. In fact, I don't want to speak in absolutes because if I tell them the truth and say, you are not allowed to do that as long as you live in my home, they might not like me. Oh my gosh, if they don't like me, then how will we like do life together? So I'll tone it down so that they'll like me. But the problem with toning it down is when you sanitize truth, it actually keeps the truth from functioning fully. But the truth exposed will always, always attract the, it's the invitation to God to get involved. Great verse, James chapter 5, 16. Um, it says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. What? We've got a little booth set up over here that afterwards, I'm going to be on one side, you be on the other. I'd like to invite you to tell me all the dirt. Okay, we're not talking about that. Um, but there is a powerful thing when with the right people in the right place at the right time, you're honest about what you're struggling with, what you're dealing with, what you need help with. I have found historically, you know, 35 years-ish of pastoring, that people who keep their imperfections hidden are never able to step out of them and experience growth and transformation. But transparent people are able to step out immediately and find this gap where God shows up because I allow the imperfection to be dealt with, and suddenly I got some traction. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Transparency with the right people in the right environment will unlock the supernatural work of God. Also, declaring the truth in love unlocks the perfecting work of God in people's lives. When we tell the truth about who God is, you know that we like to sanitize God? Because I, I don't know about you, but there's some terrifying things that I've seen about God. Not the first thing, not the first picture in the brochure I want you, my buddy to see, right? Ananias and Sapphira, we don't, we don't want to show that picture, do we? Uh, you don't want to bring your friend to church when the pastor's preaching on tithing, do you? Right? I mean, oh, you know? Or, or, or maybe today, I'm not sure. Um, but when we, when we put truth out there, and let me say it this way, truth in love, that powerful combination allows there to be a distance between the imperfect and what it could be as it's perfected, and it invites God into the chasm to do what only he can do. It actually sets the confidence for the person who's imperfect when they hear the truth to know that there can be something better, and they're more prone to say, God, there's something better. Help me, and they dive into it. You know, there's every drug addict on the world would tell you they're living their best life, but deep down they're miserable. And to be able to declare to them, this is killing you. You're killing yourself. This is not what God has for you. God has better. And to declare truth to them might feel a little bit risky, but the truth is it'll, it speaks a different place that is far removed from where they are. So often we like to, we want to win people who are living in extreme imperfection. We want to win their friendship for decades to earn the right to declare not truth, but a sanitized version because if they don't like us, who will share the gospel with them? You hear where I'm going with that? But when we declare the truth about who God is, what God does, 
who they are, what's going on in their life, it creates this vacuum that God wants to invade. You know, read this crazy story uh, in the book of Daniel chapter 3 where, uh, I don't know why, but Nebuchadnezzar had some guys in his ear who said, hey, we think it would be really cool if you set up this golden idol and the band kicks on, and when the band kicks on, everybody's going to bow down to it just because you said it's the law. I don't know about me. If I'm the governor or the leader of a great nation, how does the people bowing down to a idol when the band plays, how does that help me in any way, shape, or form? Other than I'll say this, that unredeemed leadership craves power and position. Jesus' redeemed leadership craves to serve. You want, you want to vote for the right candidate? Look for the one who is serving, not looking to say whatever it takes to stay in power. That's a problem. That is, and we live in a digital age, and it's so blatant. There's room for people to progress in what they believe in their experience. But when you're here on Tuesday morning and tell them, I don't believe in fracking, and then you go someplace else, and I do believe in fracking later on that afternoon, that's a problem, not to specifically point anyone out. Okay, so that's just my opinion. That's not out of the scripture here. So the king demands that people bow down when the band plays, and there's these three young men who are God followers. Let me say this. They're not the only God followers in this pagan nation. That's the remarkable thing. There's an idol, there's a band, there's people bowing down, and only three we see featured because Everybody else is doing something different. In fact, I would argue that these three young men who follow God, they recognize they are in direct violation if they do this with commandments one and two. They make the decision to bow down, but they could have sanitized the truth. What do I mean by that? Well, they could have not had to deal with it. They could have, for example, left the country for another country. They could have, secondly, steered clear of the city square and avoid even hearing the band or seeing the idol not have to take a stand at all. Or they could have bowed down, but in their hearts, they really didn't mean it. Or they could have bowed down and just asked God for forgiveness later. These are all examples of sanitizing. But these were men of the truth. They refused to bow. Nebuchadnezzar heard about them. He brings them before him, and he says, you're going to bow down, and I love how they speak the truth in love. They plant their flag, and they make their declaration. Silence doesn't create the vacuum. The declaration of truth creates the vacuum. Your friend who is struggling desperately needs to hear truth more than they need to hear how much you love them. They need to hear the truth in love. They need to know you love them. But if you never declare truth, they are never able to escape their imperfection. You know, there are certain things that are right and there are certain things wrong. And I know that it's not PC. It's not politically correct. It's not... Uh, in fact, it might get you kicked out of school. But there are some things that are worth getting kicked out of school over. Can I just tell you that? I mean, I'll honor this world's law and institution's law until it requires me to deny the law of God. That's where those two things conflict. Not that we're experiencing any of that in our day and age, but in their day and age, they were. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they made a declaration. They said, look, God's able to save us, but you mark this down. Even if he doesn't, we are willing to die over this truth because we will not worship another God. We will not honor an idol. And their declaration gets them thrown into the fire. Yay. But when they're in the fire, Nebuchadnezzar looks and he sees how many people? 
four. Common core math, something going on there. It's <laughs> one plus one plus one is four. What's going on here? You know, and uh, either that or it was the government's calculator. Uh, it says, who owns those voting systems? Anyways, I'm, now I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> now I'm just messing. Relax, people. So when he looks and he sees four, he calls them out. There's no influence of the fire on them. Their hair is not singed. Their clothes are not burned. There's no smoky smell. And Nebuchadnezzar looks at them, and this is what he says. Here, here, you got to hear this. Gotta, you have to hear this. Blessed. Blessed be the God. It's such a powerful moment. It's mind-boggling to me. The foreign leader of a pagan nation who's exterminating human trafficking, the things going on in this land at this time, and three men who spoke the truth in love to declare truth at their own expense created the vacuum for God to show up and not only turn the heart of Nebuchadnezzar towards the things of God, but it turns into Darius, Artaxerxes, and Cyrus, and this very nation who had gone into God's land, tore down the city walls, burned the city, burned the temple, dragged the people away. This moment turns into these guys funding everybody to go back to build the temple walls, to build the city, and to build the temple. Stand with me, we're going to pray. You know, when we live in truth, when we don't sanitize the truth, when we live our lives transparent, when we recognize when what we're doing is wrong and we're not afraid to admit it, when, we're, when we expose some of our imperfections, when we speak, to the, speak appropriately to the imperfections of others, look, you, you don't need to be on the internet correcting people's behavior. It's just, it's, what a waste of time, right? But there are some people that your words matter when you speak the truth, not sanitize, but speak it in love. When you speak it in love, you're looking at a real human being. If you just deliver the truth, you're gonna take a saw and chop them in half. When you speak the truth in love, it's a scalpel. You care about them, so you don't wanna just carve up. You wanna remove that piece that needs to be taken off. When you speak the truth in love, God invades the chasm of imperfection, and he can turn nations around. He can turn your life around. He can bring healing because your boldness, your faith, your confidence. Jesus is in a situation that is crazy. He has a man who has leprosy who is standing in front of him. How many of you know that leprosy would fall into the category of imperfection? How many of you want leprosy? We're handing it out in the lobby immediately after the gathering. How many of you want to touch leprosy? How many of you want to be in the room with leprosy? I'd say COVID, I don't know if I, you know, I'm not going to lick the doorknob if it's on it. Okay, for sure. But leprosy? Jesus invades imperfection with truth because scripture says, be healed. And the Bible says he touches him and what? Immediately leprosy left him. If somebody doesn't reach out, if somebody doesn't touch, if somebody doesn't say, be healed, 
Quit being passive. Quit being passive when it comes to disease. Quit saying to your friend, oh, you know, I'll be praying for you. I hope that turns out great. Be confident. Say, my God heals. Walk up to them and say, be healed in Jesus' name. Do it the way the apostles do. Don't put it on God. Well, God might heal you. He might not. Look, quit sanitizing. Quit trying to save your reputation. We say it that way. Well, I'll pray. I don't know if God's going to heal you or not. You know why? Because we want to now. We want to blame God. But the truth, God says you go and heal. He's put within you his spirit. Be healed. Take your hands and raise it with me. We're going to sing a final song. But I want to invite you to repeat after me. Lord, you are perfect. Come on, say it with me. He's perfect. Come on, say it with passion. Lord, you're perfect. I am desperately imperfect. On my best day, imperfect. But your desire is to perfect me, to perfect my health, to perfect my career, to perfect my family, to perfect everything in my life. I commit myself to truth. Invade my life with, come on, say it with energy. Invade my life with truth, Lord. Allow me to speak truth. And allow me to experience your perfecting. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, leaders, and what we do at C3 Church, visit our website at c3swwa.com.